and welcome to Apartment 29A. I'm Shosh. And I'm Megan. And we're two best friends who have a lot to say. This week, we're going to talk about The Rachel Maddow Show, the book The Extreme Weather by Tori Maloof. And at the end of the show, we'll end as we always do, talking about things that we just can't let go of. This tea that we are drinking is Mint Matcha Green Tea by Puka. And it is one of Shosh's favorite teas. And she sent it to me in large part because it has the word matcha in it. And that scares me a lot because the matcha that I have had the experience of tasting in the past has not led me to believe that matcha is a good thing. (laughs) And honestly, I would agree with that assessment. Usually when I've had matcha, a lot of times it's been in desserts and it's been kind of like powdery and gross. But in this case, it really just means green tea. I think they're trying to be fancy about it. But this is an everyday tea for me. So I drink a cup of this almost every single day. And now I know why. It is one of the best mint teas I've ever had. Yay! See, I told you there was nothing to be afraid of. I know, but it had the word matcha in it. Shall we talk about some Rachel Maddow? Yes. So Shoshana Rachel Maddow. <laughs> um, this is a podcast. Now it is a podcast recording of her show that airs on MSNBC. But I don't we don't watch the show. We listen to the show. Because podcasts are the best. Podcasts are the best. <laughs> also, for me, part of it is the time difference. So she airs at night and I should be or am sleeping when it's on so it's not reasonable for me to watch it regularly so I usually listen to it first thing in the morning the day after it's been recorded so this week we are talking about a specific episode of the Rachel Maddow show which aired on Tuesday but we listened to it on Wednesday or I would have been April 6th April 6th the show aired aired Mm mm-hmm And the thing that we, I think we both share this love for Rachel, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, Shosh. I love when Rachel laughs at the jokes, particularly when she knows that the joke is bad. And so she's like, I'm going to throw this laugh out to whoever wrote this joke. So in this episode, really early on, they're talking about Matt Gates and the blanket pardon. And she makes this bad joke about that's not a joke, that, that's not a pardon that you give to your blanket. And then she laughed. And that laugh is everything to me because she knows the joke is bad, but she's still going to give it to the writer. She's like, oh my gosh, I, you, you got me to say that. <laughs> I love it too. Especially because she doesn't always get tickled like that. So when she does, it's like kind of special and amazing. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that I like about her. And some of them are silly. I like some of the phrases she uses, like when she says horse hockey, (laughs) cause you know, she, she doesn't want to cuss on air. So she like has her own, her own Mm -hmm. sort of ways of saying that's, you know, not cool. Horse hockey. (laughs) Yeah. It's horse hockey. So I love when she says that. And I love when She usually says it at the end of the show, but sometimes in other parts of the segments when clearly something is ongoing and she's going to come back to it. And she always says, watch this space. And I know those are stupid little silly things, but I really love them. And the other thing that I love about her so, so, so much is 
she's the only person that I know that always does this. She, when she's setting up a segment, especially when she's then going to talk to an expert, she'll lay out the whole thing. And then as soon as the person who she's going to interview is on, she always says, is there anything about that that I got wrong? Did I explain that well? Is there anything that you need to correct? I love that because that never happens. When you're listening to all of these other stories and interviews, the person like the newscaster or the person presenting or whatever, they always just tell you. And then even when they have somebody on, they just jump in and start asking them questions or saying, you know, locking them into some kind of conversation. But she always takes the time to say, did I get anything wrong? Have I said the right things? Did I present that correctly? Do you need to correct me because you're the expert and you know better than I do? Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yes. Love she it did that so much. Really well in this episode because she was interviewing Beto O'Rourke from Texas. And Beto was like, he's like, yeah, that was amazing. And you just taught me a whole bunch of things I didn't even know by listening to the first part of your show. <laughs> Which I love that too. I really appreciated that Beto owned up to the fact that he didn't know that because he I mean it wasn't a big thing it's not like it changes the work that he's doing or really you know affects it at all it's actually in line with what he's doing but I loved that he said you just taught me something that's really great this is in line with what we're talking about now thanks for you know sharing something new that's incredible and I was like you did not have to do that because I feel like so often people don't want to say when they don't know things mm-hmm I'd rather people just say, I don't know. Right. (laughs) That's not always the case. For sure. It's so hard to do, but it's so beautiful to see other people do that. And Beto did that so well. And she gave him the opportunity to then, you know, state his piece. And he was just like, in continuation of all the things you just laid out, which were beautiful and perfect. (laughs) And I didn't know. Here's what's going on in the state of Texas with corporations who are either using their power to promote or support voting rights or not. Yeah, so this goes back to a whole big discussion that's going on right now, which stems from, but is not in any way limited to what has happened in Georgia with a big round of restrictions on voting rights, Mm -hmm. which are basically disguised not always well as protecting voters and making voting safer and more secure when in actuality it's just making it harder for people to vote. Mm -hmm. Yeah and it's rough like the Georgia one there are a few of the laws that were enacted that do expand voter rights for part for some Georgians but for other Georgians it closes the door And that is, the problem is, if it opened the door for everybody, that would be great. But it opens the door for some and not for others. And that's inappropriate. I just don't understand it. I think everybody on both sides across the board wants to ensure that voting is done fairly and properly and people aren't rigging elections or winning unfairly right. nobody person, could argue one vote. Yes. that <laughs> but the problem is people are going off of a lie and using that as ammunition to enact a bunch of regulations that aren't actually protecting voters and the right to vote and fair elections, free and fair elections, they're instead making it more difficult for some people to vote. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're letting their fear of what could happen, but it hasn't happened. It's not e not going to be easy to happen. And you're putting in restrictions to claim that something happened that didn't happen. This is so frustrating to me because I just think we should be making it across the board, even if that gives a result that I don't like. I just think you should be making it as easy as possible for every single person to vote. Absolutely. Other And other countries have things in place that we're not even really considering, but we should. In Israel, anytime there's an election, it's a public holiday. So everybody mm -hmm. gets a day off work. Mm -hmm. We should be doing that. Why are we not Absolutely. doing that? I don't know. And, and I understand if we're not going to do that, that we should then make up for it by having expanded voting um, periods, which some places are doing. We should have tons of early voting, tons of vote by mail, long hours, because it's unfair to restrict, you know, the access to, to being able to cast your vote in, I'm pretty sure it's Brazil. It's mandatory to vote. They have like 99% voter turnout because you're required to vote. Interesting. Yeah. We would never do that, but it is interesting. I don't think you should necessarily force people to vote, <laughs> yeah. even though literally there could vote could be checking a box saying, I don't vote or turning in a blank form. So, I mean, that's still exercising your right to not vote, even if you have to physically do something. But I do do think that it would be great if everybody was automatically enrolled and given the opportunity. Oh, I don't sure. think you should then be penalized if you choose not to return it or not to exercise your right. But I don't understand why we don't literally automatically enroll everybody at the moment that they're of voting age and then we send mm -hmm. them ballot and obviously there should still be other ways to access voting if they if you don't want to send in your mail-in ballot and you want to go and vote in person that's fine I'm not saying we should force everybody to vote by mail but I'm just saying wouldn't it be great if we could just give everybody that opportunity no questions asked yeah it's interesting that we have an opt-in situation where you have to opt to vote instead of an opt-out situation where you can opt out to vote doesn't and make I guess sense to me. <laughs> there are 43 states who are all having similar discussions to the ones Shosh and I are having, but more on the let's restrict things side and less on the what happens if we have everybody already in and have to opt out side. 43 states. It's crazy. Now, some of those won't go anywhere because yes, it'll be in true. states where they won't pass. For example, one of the people in Colorado was talking about the fact that there have been some proposed voter restrictions and they probably won't go anywhere, but they were pointing out that there's still people there asking for them. And then there's some places where they are going to pass, such as Georgia. And I'm pretty sure that I heard today on the Rachel Maddow show, I think actually, that Georgia, I'm sorry, Texas, they have 50 potential bills. Like 50 oh, I potential think, I restrictions. Think said 100. They have 100 oh. different bills that are that they could put now, maybe 50 or all they've actually taken up. That is just crazy. 100 right? bills that are trying to pass restrictions. What do you even have in those 100 bills? Like, what 100 things are there even to restrict? I, I don't know. Well, I, and I don't know if it's like per county or how granular some of those bills are, but. 
43 states. I, I mean, I was just blown away by 43 states even thinking about restricting voter rights. And unfortunately, a lot of them are succeeding. Yeah. And that is why your local elections are also important. Now, some of the bills are for decent things, going back to actually trying to protect elections, like having a, I think it's a like paper trail for the voting machines, for example, so that if you ever have to go back and do an audit, you have a physical copy so you can trace all of the votes. So there are things like that where, you know, I can understand wanting to enact those just to be sure, even though it hasn't really proven necessary, because anytime they've looked at voter fraud, the numbers have been so minuscule, it's basically non-existent. So even though there hasn't really been a, a need for it in that respect, I can understand why if it, if it will make it safer and potential, you know, there is then the potential to look back, you can. But some of these things that people are trying to pass are crazy. Today, I heard, so one of the things they're trying to do is restrict giving food or water to people in line. And then one of the state officials, I'm sorry, I don't remember who, was like, don't worry. If you're hungry in line, you can just order a pizza, DoorDash, or Uber. <laughs> and I was like, okay, what's the difference between a family member or a person dropping off food in line and a delivery person? And also, how do you know if they're officially a delivery person or a family member? Like, who's making the distinction? And, and do you and get in trouble for turning around and giving the other person who's in line behind you a slice of that pizza? That especially you if you're in the same family? Well, and even if you're not in the same family, like, do you still get, like, can you literally, does each individual person in line have to order his or her own food? I think probably. But to me, that's messed up. It is you're messed saying, up. <laughs> you're, you're saying that it's okay if you're paying a professional to bring you food, but it's not okay for someone that you know to bring you food or even someone that you don't. Some of these organizations will hand out especially bottles of water or things because people are waiting in lines that are way too long. Nobody should have to wait in line for hours to cast their vote. And if they are, they definitely deserve water. I don't understand that part of the voter restrictions. I just don't even understand. I don't even understand how a Republican Republican who wants to say that government is overreaching could be okay voting for that. Is that not overreaching? Telling someone whether or not not the biggest overreach ever. The government says I can't feed you. Sorry, that's not overreaching. You want to monitor elections? Monitor elections. Don't monitor whether or not I gave someone water. (laughs) Right. There's another part to this, which is part of what Beto is on the show to talk about, which is the involvement of big business in all of these voting rights bills that are passing. And I have such mixed feelings about this. I greatly appreciate big business standing up and calling them out and putting their weight behind them because if you have the power you should use it and while Mitch McConnell doesn't think they should be involved in politics even though he still wants their donations a lot of these companies are making huge donations and therefore are involved in politics already so I very much appreciate the weight of these businesses being put behind you know voting rights But it's also very frustrating on two fronts. First, that 
the companies in Georgia didn't really come out and explicitly say anything until after the laws were already passed. To be fair to them a little bit, apparently they were working behind the scenes to try to make changes, but still, I was a little bit frustrated that they waited until after everything was already passed to actually come out and officially put their foot down and say, we're not okay with this. And second of all, it's very frustrating that we have to rely on big business for this. This is democracy. This is voting rights. This is what every everybody should want free and fair elections. Everybody should want people to vote. Even if the outcome isn't what you want, if the majority of the people want that, then we should all want that because that is how voting works. Mm-hmm. So I'm very frustrated that it, we have to rely on big business to get anything done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to be really careful that I'm not the left side of Mitch McConnell because Mitch McConnell, of course, so told the big businesses to stay out of politics, but please continue to give me money which to me is being in politics. <laughs> and exactly. I'm afraid Makes that no I'll sense. do the opposite. Like if you're going to give money, then you should also do the right thing and be for voter rights. Um, or I'm going to, the actual opposite of like, don't give money, but please be in favor of voting rights. <laughs> like that is, that. I mean, that is my default position, right? Like that is what I want to do, but that is just as hypocritical. So I have to remind myself that like, if they're going to give money, it, then they should also do these really good things or they could actually do what Mitch McConnell says and just stay out of everything. But I don't know how you do that because businesses are people. People are the point of government and therefore they should all be allowed to be in politics. So, it, but I'm, I definitely feel the same way you do, where I don't want to be relying on that. Like, I want them to do the right thing. I want them to express the power that they have in ways that benefit minorities, the, that are going to become majorities someday, that benefit the people as a whole, that lead to humanity t- treating others humanely. I want that. But I'm like you, I'm like, I wish it, I wish it didn't have the power that it did. Or that that wasn't the only thing that could get movement. Right. But I do hope more companies go the route of Patagonia, where they actually yes. fund the organizations that are working so hard to lead to better voting rights for all Americans. I also was thrilled about Patagonia. It's a company that I like anyways, so maybe a little biased, but they're ethical, they're sustainable, they repair their clothing. Sorry, I could go on, but I'll, I'll stop interrupting. (laughs) No, but, but I'm with you. So, I mean, I am a little bit biased in that respect anyways, because I already like Patagonia. And then when I heard that they were donating to support voter rights, I was like, yes, thank you. You're not only you know, saying you're against it, you're actually trying to do something. But the problem is, is I'm like, yes, put your money behind this thing that I actually agree with and believe in. (laughs) But the other side is thinking the same thing. So it's really hard to want to support businesses getting involved. You know, this goes back to that whole same debate of, you know, obviously it's great, especially when whatever the business is, is on your side. Yep. But there's two sides to every story, no matter what it is. And you're going to have businesses on both sides. And 
I don't know. It's hard to come down in the right spot on that debate. Mm-hmm. Are we just reflections of each other? So the next two things, both Derek Chauvin and the head of the NRA, Wayne LaPierre, made me very angry because they both tried to pull the same psychological excuse for their behaviors. So both of them used fear to rationalize their behavior. These are two grown men who are trying to say that due to fear after Sandy Hook, so the man who says that the only way to stand up against a guy, a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun, claimed he was, he feared for his life after Sandy Hook and he needed to flee to a yacht and his company- A like million dollar yacht, I think. His, yeah, and his company needed to pay for this. But that's how, that was the only place he felt safe. Like his gun didn't keep him safe. I thought that was the whole thing. And then Chauvin was like, well, the the crowd around me was kind of scary. And so I- Distracted me. Yeah, he distracted me. And so for 10 minutes, practically, I left my knee on a guy's neck. He wasn't moving. I'm sorry. I just cannot, like the psychologist in me, very much understands fear. I very much understand the fight or flight response. The fight or flight response is immediate. It is not 10 minutes or nine minutes or eight minutes or seven minutes. It is immediate, not minutes worth of time. And I just, I'm offended for my field that these men are using this the concept of fear as an excuse for their behavior. If they were seven or eight years old, absolutely. When you are seven or eight, fear drives you. It drives you to do some temper tantrums, things that are inappropriate. These are grown human beings claiming that they have never been able to conquer their fear. So they needed to run away to a million dollar yacht that their company, again, their company needed to pay for. Or... They were so afraid of a few people being around them, some of them being their their friends and coworkers, that they were so distracted for long periods of time to have their knee on someone's neck. Again, both are excuses. Wayne LaPierre, he either is the world's biggest hypocrite and he was actually afraid, but then that is in opposition to everything that he preaches and believes and stands for with this company or Mm -hmm. the organization, or he's just lying and Mm -hmm. using it as an excuse to try to justify his actions, which is probably more likely. And it's the same thing with Derek Chauvin. He said that the crowd was kind of scary and he was distracted, but I don't understand. Again, if it's an excuse because he wasn't the only officer on the scene, And George Floyd was handcuffed and on the ground. And then also, as a result of him having his knee on his neck, he was not responsive. So explain to me how you can say the crowd was so scary. And if the crowd is scary and saying, let the man breathe, you know the easiest way to calm the crowd down? Let the man breathe. Yeah, that's it. All you had to do was move your knee. (laughs) Also, not to mention, if it's me... And I'm in that situation, which of course, just for the record, I never would be ever, but I'm just saying, if that was me and I'm Derek Chauvin and I have my knee on the neck and the crowd really is scaring me, I'm not going to continue to sit there and let them scare me. I'm going to take 
George Floyd off the ground and put him in the police car and drive away. Mm -hmm. So I I don't understand if I honestly, or I'm going to stand up and go and call for more backup, or I'm going to stand up and leave the handcuffed, handcuffed person alone while I deal with the crowd because Mm -hmm. I am a police officer and that is my job. Or I'm going to trust that the other police officers who are with me have, can control this crowd. That's what I'm saying. He's not the only one there. Right. But even if he was, again, you're not going to stand there and be scared. You're going to get up and you're going to leave if you're actually frightened. Or you're going to get up and you're going to call for backup. Or you're going to get up and you're going to deal with the crowd because clearly the person is handcuffed mm-hmm. and not a threat. Mm-hmm. I don't yep. get it. I, I, I just, I don't either. And I just, I'm, as I say, I'm offended for my field because this is not an appropriate use of psychological understandings. <laughs> fear is real and to, and to use it in this way is it's just inappropriate it puts down the times where people literally have experienced fear like what do we think George Floyd was feeling in that moment that was fear he literally had no power no control that is fear unfortunately though the media has used for a long time fear as a motivator you can see it over and over and over Mm -hmm. you know giant caravans of people are coming to take over and you're not going to be safe Mm -hmm. you know there's been stories like that on and on and on always fear yeah and the people who are fearful are the people in the caravan they are running for their lives for something better yes i'm 100 percent with you i am not disputing that at all (laughs) i'm just saying (laughs) the media and not just the media lots of people in power in the government but the media helps fuel that because you get bigger ratings they use the scary stuff they use the fear that is how they draw you in that is how they keep you that is how they motivate you and so it's not that big of a stretch to see it in other situations like this as an excuse for your behavior mm-hmm. yep Ugh. Makes me <sighs> we need to shake this off megan we need to shake this off yeah any other thoughts we can we can talk to about our book soon their behavior was horse hockey <laughs> thank you rachel maddow <laughs> <laughs> just had to get that in there <laughs> true Okay, let's talk about a book. <laughs> okay. So the book we're oh. talking about this week, this is the best thing ever. So the book is called Extreme Weather by Tori Maloof. This was our very first book recommendation that we have received from this podcast. Yay. Yes. We're excited. So, yes. We have a friend who we went to high school with, actually, who has a child named Aiden, and they were listening to our podcast, and Aiden made sure to let us know what book we should read next, and so that is what we did. We read Extreme Weather by Tori Maloof. So this goes back to episode three, which is what they were listening to, and at the end of it, we discuss our reading journals and the reading challenge that we've set for ourselves to try to get a book for every letter of the alphabet. And so we were discussing the fact that it was going to be difficult to get a book with an X and that we were going to have to really search for one and we were reaching and we needed a recommendation. And Aiden said, I have the book for you. And so we got our X and we're very excited about it. So we have read Extreme Weather and it was very interesting. It was, I learned so much as 
the title indicates, it is a book about extreme weather. So storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, dust storms, all sorts of extreme weather conditions and what to do if you are in one of those weather conditions, how to protect yourself. And also the idea is that if something occurs, if you can prepare for it, then you will be safe. Yes. And this book is, I think, geared at kids six to 11. Mm -hmm. But that being said, it was very interesting. And I also learned some stuff. One of the cool things I learned was, Megan, did you know that lightning strikes somewhere on earth every second? I do now, but I didn't know that before. And that's so crazy. Totally blown away by that. I told my husband that immediately. I was like, babe, lightning just struck. And he was like, where? I was like, I don't know, on earth somewhere. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about this because there's always that saying like, lightning never strikes the same place twice. And I was like, but there's a lot of lightning strikes. How accurate is that saying? Right. I mean, I know there's a lot of earth. There's a lot of places for lightning to strike. But I just mean, if it's striking every second somewhere, Mm -hmm. surely that means like, I don't know, everywhere has to be struck by lightning at some point, right? I would think so. So Maybe it's a philosophical because once you've been struck by lightning, it's a very different experience to be struck by lightning twice. Like it's not the same place. Like the philosophical, you can never step into the same river twice because even if you step in the same place, it's different water molecules. I also appreciated that they, when in the tornado section, called them terrifying tornadoes because I'm scared of tornadoes. They frighten me. So I was like, yes, thank you book for recognizing that this is my fear. I think this goes back to, I'm going to um, go back to my childhood here. <laughs> so, you know, when tornadoes come and ideally you would go to the basement. Well, growing up, I didn't have a basement and we had really big windows in the downstairs of our house. And I remember if the sirens went off, which sirens can be kind of scary anyways. And then my mom would make us go underneath the table and I was terrified. So I think that that is maybe why I'm so afraid of tornadoes, but I do not like them. I also feel like you don't have the same warning. Not that hurricanes are great, but you know a hurricane is coming. You don't necessarily know a a tornado is coming. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had the opposite though. My mom was always so chill about them. She was like, mm. she's like, look outside. She's like, I don't see anything. We're fine. I was like, mom, like, <laughs> do you hear the sirens? And she's like, I, I lived through these in, in Fort Wayne in my childhood. It was fine. We're fine. If, if it sounds like it gets closer, we'll move. <laughs> so we never, that we is never, amazing. So chill. <laughs> <laughs> but you also had a basement. I feel like if I had had a in, basement, in my older I years, I had a basement. My first house was a single story. Oh, we would we would if I think we did practice once going into the bathroom because the bathroom was in the middle of the house, and so there was no windows in the bathroom. Ooh, see, yeah, our bathroom was upstairs, so we would go downstairs, and it was a very sturdy table that we would get under—a big giant wood table, but still. No, I didn't I'll like it. Under the table. <laughs> yeah. So. For good reason. It told us in this thing that they can have winds up to 250 miles an hour and that there was one really bad F5 in Missouri that was almost a mile wide. Can you imagine a mild wide tornado? No. That freaks me out. 
no, just saying. I can't. I, I do want to see it though. I want some. No. One of the, yeah, no. One of the tornado chasers, those crazy people who chase tornadoes. I want them to take footage, and then I'd oh, like okay. to see the footage, like in Twister. Yeah, but real. I don't want to see a fake cow <laughs> flying. I want to see if if they fly. I want it to be real, and then I want the. I don't want to. I want it to fly. Poor well, cow. I want it to really like land gently. Well, I will never be a storm chaser, so you won't oh, no, be getting those videos either. from me. I just want someone who's who's brave enough to do that for me. All right, what other cool stuff did you learn in this book? Well, I was interested to know what the that the Fujita scale was actually named after a tornado expert. I had no idea. And I also appreciate that it told me how to pronounce his first name, Tetsuya, because I would not necessarily have gotten that correct but it spelled it out phonetically for you so that I can sound intelligent while I speak. Which is awesome. Mm -hmm. I also liked the in the dust storm section. They talked about dust in your house and how it makes you sneeze. And then they gave us this little tidbit about a woman in England who once sneezed for 978 days in a row. That sounds awful. That is a lot of sneezing. Mm -hmm. Like, her body hurt on that 979th day. Or also, is that not. one Maybe by sneeze? then, she was, like, her body had, like, acclimated to it, and it was fine. But at some point, her body hurt. Well, is that one sneeze a day? Multiple sneezes per day? Because it doesn't actually tell you how many sneezes. It just tells you how many days. That's true. And maybe she's a dainty sneezer. Because, you know, like, some people just have that, like, little, huh, and you're like, what was that? That's not a sneeze. Right? Because I do not make that sound. Mine is much okay. larger. I will mute it, and you will never hear me sneeze, because it is, you would not be able to hear Shosh speak over my sneeze. You know, Amir has you beat. He is literally the world's loudest sneezer, and he I He does, not but kidding. I'm, like, right there below him. Well, I'm not kidding when I say that he scares children. If he... <laughs> If he sneezes in public, he will, no joke, scare children. Well, the picture of the foot with frostbite in this book Ooh, no. makes me want to cry. They did tell us something interesting about blizzards, though, in that section. Mm -hmm. Apparently, in 1888, they had a huge blizzard with 55 inches of snow, which is that was a lot of snow, and that that led them to put the new york train system underground so the new york subway was in response to that because apparently the trains were above ground and then they couldn't go anywhere because they had 55 inches of snow and they were like uh let's not do this anymore so fascinating i have a friend who says that when she was a child she wanted to be a meteorologist but she really wanted to be that person on tv who who gave the weather report but here's her rationale her rationale is the best part She's like, oh, I want to be a weather reporter because no one gets mad at weather reporters when they're wrong because they're wrong so often. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of true, but maybe the only profession ever where you can be wrong like 95% of the time and it's okay. That was exactly what she thought. She's like, you could be wrong all the time and no one cares. This is the best job ever. You know, being a weather reporter is actually difficult. When I was younger, this is like many moons ago, we went on family vacation to New York City and we toured the NBC studios and they had a green screen where you could stand and they'd put the map up and you could pretend to do the weather. 
And it is very difficult, very difficult because it's just green behind you. And you're looking at the monitor, trying to figure out what you're supposed to be pointing at. And it was, oh, it was a mess. I mean, granted, I was young and I didn't have any practice, but I was like, this is actually very difficult. But it would take practice. Cute little shosh. There's a reason why I never went into um, the weather business. Looks easier than it is. Yeah, it was over before it started. So. Right. <laughs> so thank you so much, Aiden, for the first podcast recommendation. We loved it. And we learned Anybody a lot. else has suggestions, let us know. Well, Shosh, tell us, what is it you can't stop thinking about this week? All right. The thing that I can't stop thinking about is from a podcast, surprise, surprise, <laughs> called Into America, <laughs> <a> theme. Host, <laughs> yeah, Into America, hosted by Tremaine Lee. And they were talking about trauma and it was in the context, the whole episode was in the context of the George Floyd trial. But in it, they were talking about a study that they did with mice about trauma actually being passed on through your DNA. So what they said was, this is just crazy, prepare to have your mind blown. Generational they, trauma. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is just crazy though. So they took mice and they exposed them to shocks and then they paired the shocks with the scent of cherry blossoms. So, and then once they were paired so that the mouse would have the same response that it would have to the shock just from the scent of cherry blossoms, they then took those mice and they paired them with mice who had never been exposed to either the cherry blossom scent or the shocks. They had babies. They removed the parents. So there was no learned behavior. They took the parents away. And then they exposed the babies to cherry blossoms. And the babies who had never been exposed to the cherry blossom scent or to the shocks had the same response as the parent who had had the shock. And they would see this for two to three generations after. And that is crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, so this is a theory that's been in psychology for quite a while, but we had no proof. And this is an experiment that starts to show that this could possibly be happening in humans and that this would help explain generational trauma occurring to groups of people who have been traumatized. So you can imagine how this affects a, a Jewish population whose family was associated with the Holocaust. You can imagine how this would affect the, a black population whose family was associated with slavery in decades past or years past. And we now have some evidence that this might truly be occurring. Yeah, I had heard or read, I can't really remember about this in some other contexts, like families whose, you know, like grandparents, for example, had grown up in like populations where the whole population was hungry and starving and mm -hmm. different things would filter down or in terms of like slavery and different stuff. So I had actually heard about it before, but I had never heard about this study and it's just crazy because mm -hmm. the thing is, is like when I had heard about it, not that I didn't necessarily believe it, but it would be easy to think that some of that was just learned behavior. Right. You know, if your, if your grandparents had grown up hungry 
and then they passed on those traits of like valuing food and being worried and different things to the parents and then that got passed down to you you can Mm -hmm. see where in families it would you know pass on and at least for a long time sort of persist right so to actually then see that in this case the parents never they, they took the parents away right away so there was never any learned behavior and the mice still had the reaction mm-hmm. it's amazing it like it all it's just amazing how things that we think of as learned as because particularly because in the theories most of them have an extinction point so something you may have learned as a child if that association doesn't occur again, particularly in classical conditioning, when you've conditioned yourself to be afraid of a scent, for instance, or vanilla ice cream, if you've ever had a bad reaction to a food, that can go away. Like the extinction, we anticipate, in fact, there's a graph where we anticipate that it will go away. So we do not think about that as genetic. And yet there's something that can be passed down in the DNA about that that learning so crazy Mm -hmm. it's also a little bit terrifying really because you know you can have somebody who is removed from that situation and you can still have lasting effects of it Mm -hmm. which is just and two to three generations is amazing Right. right not even just first generation yeah but then also you can see how it can be really hard to then get rid of that because if you continue to have any kind of trauma it just continues then to pass on Mm -hmm. and it also explains how I can't remember the term right now but there's like a term for when it just magically appears again so it's been extinct and then all of a sudden you experience that same thing again well if it's you know if if it's literally baked in you may have like part of your hard to make it become extinct but it's still there and so something can trigger it amazing so amazing the human body is just so (laughs) amazing and bizarre and I don't even know Mm -hmm. if you've been listening to our podcast you've heard about a lot of stuff I mean we have organs that are smelling our DNA (laughs) can pass down trauma I mean tastes are developing in utero (laughs) what is happening (laughs) crazy it's just crazy I mean it's amazing Mm -hmm. on like just like a you know sort of scientific look at what the human body is doing it's amazing but it's crazy it's all inspiring for sure all right that's what I can't stop thinking about what are you thinking about this week all right so going in a totally different direction uh, I can't stop thinking about my attempt to find the perfect gel pen (laughs) so I don't really know how this started but papermate makes a gel pen Pentel makes a gel pen and Tool, T-U-L, which is the Office Depot brand, makes a gel pen. And at some point I decided I had to try them all and decide which was the best. Is this for everyday use or is this like your special learning calligraphy type, some kind of special thing use? A little bit of both. So I am using them mainly, not so much for the calligraphy because none of these pens you can are like built so you can push down on them without breaking them so the gel pen doesn't really allow for that that you could do faux calligraphy at any point um but i do want like a thicker line for when i am journaling or planning writing in my planner um so i've been using going for the 0.7 just to make sure i'm being fair and really comparing 
equal to equal. So, so far I can tell you that the papermate are my least favorite. They're the most scratchy. And then mm -hmm. the Energels are the Pentel version. And I do really enjoy those. And then the tool ones are probably my favorite, but they are also the hardest to find because they're only at Office Depot. And once like Office Depot gets to a limited supply of many of them, then they get real expensive. And I'm like, I don't know. They change the price based on availability? Yeah. Yeah. So like That's the pack. lame. Yeah, well, because they have like special edition ones. And so when you when the special edition ones first come out, they're decent, they're still a bit more expensive than your average pen, but they're still it's fine. You're getting like 20 of them for $20 or whatever. You're like, okay, that's not bad. But now once they become limited, there's like this metallic set that I really want. Beautiful, but it's like $43 for eight pens. And I can't, I just can't. What? I'm like, no. I miss my opportunity. That's just me. It. It's me, right? And they are limited edition, so they're not bringing them back out. But I'm not spending $43 on eight pens. No, that's too much. Mm -hmm. I find this very amusing <laughs> because Amir has favorite gel pens. And he brought them with him when we moved to the U.S. And so okay. they are very precious because anytime you break one or one runs out, it's like, oh no, the supply is dwindling, but they literally are the best pins that we have. But ours, I only know this because they're labeled. Otherwise I'd have no idea because we bought them wild a while ago, but ours are a Staples brand. They're mm -hmm. Optiflow by Staples, but they are really nice. I wonder if they had come in a clicker version though, because I really like clickers. I don't know. I don't know anything about these pens, except for that they're Amir special pens from the U.S. And he has been nice enough to share them with me because I've been using them mostly for my book journal, but I've been using them because they're very nice and I love them now. I will say that I did have one break and I got really lucky that it didn't get all over everything because I didn't notice. So I was still writing, 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 and then I finished and then I went to put the cap on and I looked at my fingers and my hand was covered in black ink. And I was like, oh, no. oh my gosh, what happened? <laughs> but I didn't even know. I was still just writing. And um, it looks I, got so really pretty. Yeah, <laughs> I got really lucky that it didn't get all over the page or my clothes or something else. It was literally just my hand. But well, now I'm going like to have to repeat that version. And at least if I don't like them, I can just send them to Amir. <laughs> and he would love them. We haven't done it yet, but I have a feeling we'll probably have to go on a Staples run the next time we're in the U.S. Stock yeah. up on pens. So if you have a favorite gel pen, dear listener, let us know. I want to know what the favorite gel pens are. You can help Megan on her quest mm -hmm. <laughs> to find the perfect gel pen. Yes. Or my quest to just own all the pens. All the pens. It wasn't really my quest, but it's certainly going to become what happens. Well, it sounds like you so far have found a pretty good one. Yes. As yes. long as you get them when they first come out and you don't try to get special edition ones right before they go away. So we will definitely post some pictures of the different pens. It's an obsession, guys. All right. I think we made it to the end of another episode, Shosh. Excellent. All right. Have a great week, everyone. Bye, guys.